You're listening to Power in Practice, practical talk for living in a structured lifestyle. Welcome to episode 10, Ripe Play with Tatsumi. This recording was taped at a test meeting in New York City, live. All participants, except for those who've been on previous Power and Practice podcasts, have been cut from the audio in order to protect their identities. Any jumps in topic may be due to a participant's question being cut, but we have tried to keep the flow constant. We must also ask you to forgive any background noise. And now, Ripe Play with Tatsumi. Recording has begun. My name is Tatsumi. I also go by Goddess Tatsumi. I'll go by Tat, um, not so much by Sumi. And I've been a lifestyle player for uh, about 15 years, a little more. I love playing on the edge. It's something that interests me and appeals to me. And when I say edge, I don't mean sharp, shiny things, although those are nice. I actually mean forms of BDSM that are uh, a little dangerous, a little inadvisable to newbies, and items that should not be attempted without proper training. That's the definition I found for edge play. Now, I'm not sure who's supposed to do the proper training, but that's another topic entirely. I find rape to be an incredibly hot topic. Um, It's also really taboo to discuss, uh, and a lot of people feel so strongly about the topic that we shouldn't even um, touch it as a form of play. It's like incest or um, what are some other taboo, Uh, some blood play, but I'm really into things that are taboo. So I have been experimenting with rape play for about 10 years, and I'd like to see more of it done safely. Uh, So I'm bringing you this class today on how to proceed and hopefully not fall into any pitfalls along the way. How many people have had fantasies of being raped? Okay. And how many people here have had fantasies of being the raper. Okay, so y'all are in the right place. Rape fantasies occur in men and women, most common in females, but the contents range from unwilling seduction to violent, forceful sex. It's estimated, according to Wikipedia, that 24% of men and 36% of women have had a rape fantasy and 10% of women report that this is their favorite type of fantasy. In our group, the numbers are obviously going to be skewed, which is wonderful because I love being around other perverts. So, rape fantasies are extremely common. There's nothing to be ashamed of if you want to do the raping or if you want to be raped, as long as you can act out those fantasies with willing partners. It's such a wonderful head trip, and it can be such a great bonding experience for both people. Some women find they have rape fantasies because it's uh, still somewhat socially unacceptable for women to assert their own sexuality. 
So they get to be ravished without having to take any of the responsibility for being ravished. That's not something that's solely relegated to the female gender. Men also have that, um, probably a little more so because they always have to be the aggressor in vanilla society. So the fantasy of them having the control taken from them is something that can be very heady. In some instances, people who want to act out rape fantasies have had some trauma in their past that they want to deal with and hopefully put a different spin on by acting out this fantasy. That's not at all uncommon and it is a way to heal past trauma, but it's not something I would suggest if you have past history of abuse or assault then you probably want to speak to a professional therapist uh, before entering into this and you absolutely want to make sure your partner knows that there are some pretty serious potential landmines that they're going to stumble across when you're playing. I'm pretty sure this is obvious but the presence of rape fantasies in a community or individual does not mean that we condone rape. Rape is terrible. Actual physical rape is horrible and we don't condone it. It's taking someone against their will while hot is not something you should ever do in reality. So just putting that out there. I mentioned the word ravishment earlier. Women or men wishing to just be taken and have their clothes ripped from their bodies and their arms forced over their heads and their legs thrown open and this pirate and the maiden kind of bodice ripper fantasy is really hot and there's actually a lot of books around that exact scenario um, I believe they're called bodice rippers they're romantic fiction there's a picture of Fabio on the cover and he's ripping open some chick's blouse and <laughs> that whole genre of fiction is popular because this fantasy lives in our culture's subconscious. It's so powerful. Taking someone against their will, being taken against your will, is really, really hot and sexy. One of the things to think about when you're setting up uh, this fantasy is what kind of language do you want to use when you're getting ready to do your rape scene or maybe you're just still masturbating thinking about your rape scene there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> I'm all for masturbation but a lot of you already knew that about me language is really important. Knowing the kinds of words to use and more importantly the kinds of words not to use. Rape fantasies and I'm just going to keep using the word fantasies and I'm sorry if that's ruining it for some of you but there it is. Rape fantasies tread such a um, straight edge of potential horror show and psychological trauma and really hot steamy sex, heady relationship building joy, language is one of those things that can easily tip you over into the wrong side. 
getting, you know, get grabbing your partner by the wrist, throwing him up against a wall and going, all right, now you little sissy, I'm going to fuck your ass. If he's got something against the word sissy, you're just totally throwing him into the wrong headspace. Or if his little brother used to twist his arm up around his back when he was a kid, now you've completely fucked that up. So language isn't the only thing, but name calling is really hot and I love it. Um, I'm sure a lot of you do too, but just know what names you can and can't use. And can't is of course a liberal term here. Spanking, pretty universally accepted, but slapping isn't. Face slapping. Face slapping is really personal. And it absolutely happens during assaults. One of the easiest ways to throw somebody off guard is to slap them across the face. It's really intimate. And you'll certainly get their attention um, and you'll make their mind kind of freeze for a minute. But that might be a really bad trigger for your partner. So um, just keep that kind of stuff in mind. I'm not saying you have to have an all out, all right, let's sit down and go through the list of what I can and can't do. This kind of activity should only be attempted with people who know each other really well to begin with. So these are the kinds of things that you should have picked up through your months, maybe years together. Now, I know that my sister hates being tickled. So I'm going to avoid tickling her if I want her to be in a good mood. You know, it's that kind of thing. Aside from knowing their limits, um, physically, emotionally, and psychologically, also keep in mind that what you have dreamt about in fantasy and been fucking yourself over is probably a lot more in depth than what you actually want. The first time you do a rape scene, it's going to be really intense, which is great. Intense is part of the reason we're here, but you don't have to try and hit every item on your checklist the first time. Hopefully we're all gonna be around for a while, so we'll have more opportunities to do this. Maybe the most important thing you can do the first time is get through it without having a nervous breakdown. Just keep that in mind. Has anyone here read Anne Rand's novel, The Fountainhead? Yeah? Good. In the middle of that book, and there's a movie too, in the middle of the movie, there is a female protagonist who is raped, and the character explicitly says, he didn't ask my consent, he raped me. But the author is later quoted by saying, if it was rape, it was rape by engraved invitation. You can sometimes set up a rape uh, only with the people you know and love and trust in such a way that you can protest and protest and protest and try and claw out their eyes and still get what you want to happen to happen, which is wonderful. That's why we're here. And that's kind of what Anne Rand set up in that book. Everybody here has heard of Gone with the Wind? Yeah, okay. Right in the middle of Gone with the Wind, Scarlett O'Hara is raped by her husband. 
And later, she seems pretty happy about the whole thing. She don't really seem upset at all. Uh, in the film Swept Away, a rich, insensitive woman is stranded on a desert island who rapes her while reciting communist propaganda. Afterwards, she becomes devoted and submissive to him. And I don't know who here is a soap opera fan. In 19... Late 70s, early 80s, on General Hospital, they televised the rape of Laura, who later went on to marry her rapist, Luke, and that was the highest rated soap hour in soap opera history, generating 30 million viewers. The wedding of Luke and Laura, raper to rapist rapist, rapey, you know what I mean. So those literary references are notable because they were all developed by female authors, where the female is being raped, but the female is also the one penning the scenario. Gender doesn't matter in a rape fantasy. You can be on top, on bottom, you can be male, female, you can be trans, you can be queer, you can be whatever it is you want to be. If, if you have a will and someone crosses it, you're raped. That's it. That's what it comes down to. Someone doing something sexually against your will. Hopefully that's really hot and sexy, the way that you put it together. And again, look at the bodice rippers for <coughs> examples. About $2 at any newsstand will get you one of the um, aforementioned Fabio covers. You can take a look at the, it's almost a how-to script. You know, the, the pirate sauntered up to the maiden and grabbed her by the back of the hair, which is a great spot to grab, right, right back here, and, you know, and, and threw her forcefully down onto the deck and made her swab with her dress or whatever. Really hot stuff. The only other thing I'm going to say about gender is, I said it earlier, men can be raped, not just because they have orifices. You can, can make the penis erect, whether the male wills it or not, can manipulate the prostate, and it will respond. And you can turn off his brain, um, sensory deprivation, just blindfold, earplugs, put his brain elsewhere, and his biology will respond to your touch. It is absolutely possible to rape a man, so keep that in mind <laughs> and have fun with that. No, there's no <laughs> handout, but men do tend to freeze more than women in a rape scenario. Because of the way society is, men don't think that they can ever be raped. It's just not something that crosses their mind. So if they find themselves in a situation where someone really is making their body do things that they don't want to do, the possibility for psychological meltdown is a little bit higher than it is in women. Women are pretty much raised knowing that it's a possibility. Hopefully one that never happens, but it is a possibility. So keep that in mind when you're playing with men, too. And, okay, we have about 20 more minutes of me chattering at you. 
Let me put this on pause real quick and see if there are any questions. Okay, the question was, have I ever raped a man? We're getting a little personal, but that's okay. That's why I'm here. And my answer was kind of. I had um, not completely consensual sex with someone because they were under the influence of mind-altering substances. And this was quite a few years ago um, and didn't really have anything to do with BDSM. But I know from experience that it's absolutely possible to rape a man, and I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the question was one of consent, and um, how, do you, how do you rape the willing, if I might paraphrase. Everything we do in the scene is consensual, and it has to be, otherwise it's just abusive. But what you can do is give prior consent or blanket consent. Um, some people call this consensual non-consent, which is I absolutely cannot stand what's happening to me while it's happening, but before it happens, I'm all for it. And after it happens, I'm all for it. It's just the during part that if somebody gave me a choice, I'd say, fuck no, I don't want to do this. That's an example of consensual non-consent and the rape scenarios that I am talking about are almost all set up in that way. One thing I'm going to mention which will make my daddy cringe is the use of safe words. I am not usually a fan of safe words, but with psychological minefield play, which is what I think rape can be, especially for someone who's had any kind of history of abuse or trauma. Using a safe word to let somebody know when they've, they're just going too much and I know I said I wanted this, but I can't do it today is, you know, because those kinds of things you might say when you're in the heat of the moment. Okay, daddy, I know I said I wanted this, but I really don't want this. So could you please stop? completely reasonable for him to go, no, you wanted to be raped. Guess what? You're being raped, which is really hot unless I really meant it. So I happen to have an 11 year history with my daddy. So he knows when I'm serious and when I'm not. And if he doesn't, well, it's his job to pick up the pieces afterwards. I recommend for all of you that you don't have to pick up pieces. There are such things as safe words. If you can't, you know, if you don't want to use the word banana because that just sounds stupid to you while somebody's fisting you, okay, how about the word mercy? It sounds kind of still kinky, um, but it's not something you're likely to scream out in the heat of the moment. You know, it's that game you used to play where you bend your fingers back and you scream up on your toes and, ah, mercy. You know, or uncle, if you've got an incestuous thing going on. Maybe that's a good one. Consent is is paramount. It's it's really the whole thing balances on whether or not there is consent. And knowing that your partner's really not gonna hate you the next day is pretty important. And if you don't stop when they want you to stop, they really might hate you. Of course if you do stop when they really didn't want you to stop, they might be mad, but they won't hate you. They might just be mad, so I'd err on the side of not doing psychological damage. The question was, what are the psychological ramifications for the male top as the rapist? 
in a scene and what are the potential downfalls. I think the men that I've played with have almost all worried that they would like it too much. What if I really enjoy taking control in this way and making you do something that you really don't want to do? What does that say about me as a person? And that's something you have to live with. I mean, it's that's looking your beast square in the face and deciding whether or not you can still live with the monster that is inside of you. But, you know, we all have that monster inside of us. And I really like pulling wings off flies, too. Just because I like pulling the wings off flies doesn't mean it's all I'm going to do every day, all day. You were raised that good boys don't hit girls. Good boys don't hit anyone, but especially not girls. Now your lovely lady wants you to take her by force and throw her around the room and bruise her up and ignore her cries and really manhandle her. And that's... It's something you have to really deal with in your own head and decide whether or not you trust yourself enough to come back from that. You have to look at yourself in the mirror the next day. Are you going to be able to do it? Uh, I find it's kind of hard for me to look at myself in the mirror sometimes the next day after what I just did to that poor boy. But he really liked it, so I try and, and... calm my conscience by saying it was all consensual and he enjoyed it and I enjoyed it so shut up conscience and go away it's just the societal leftovers I recently um, I was recently told I do what's called method acting I didn't know Um, but apparently I do so I, I find if what I want to do is roll with the um, incest, age play, rape scenario, I will remember what did I feel like when I was six. And I will make myself six. And anybody who tries to talk to me about graphic design that day is not going to get the right answer because I'm like crayons. <laughs> you know. Um, and apparently that's called method acting. I didn't know. But I'm a big fan of it. And that helps me separate Tatsumi from being raped and the six-year-old that is here for today being raped. Because it's much safer for me if it's her that's being raped. Or if it's another role that's doing the raping as opposed to if it's really me. If it's really me, then whatever happens is really on me. I can't just push it off to somebody else inside my head. The reason I started in Rape Play was to reclaim some memories that were just horrific. And it's not something that I would recommend you do lightly. Um, By all means, get professional advice. Couples counseling is great. Uh, But if, when done right, it can really be a transcending experience. Um, well, I have been uh, I have been raped 
non-consensually um, and it was a horrible experience um, so to reclaim that um, I couldn't have anal sex for years because to dissuade my rapist I told him I wasn't using birth control so therefore he decided well we'll just go anal well that just ruined anal sex for me thank you very much so to reclaim it I reenacted or arranged for the scenario to be reenacted and it didn't completely erase the original memory but it allowed me to realize that I really was physically outpowered. I, I could not have maneuvered. Um, I'm a squeamish person. I do not gouge out eyeballs. Um, I don't do that. I know they teach that in self-defense. Not my thing. So short of doing those kinds of drastic, um, biting a chunk out of somebody's flesh things, I wasn't going anywhere. That was a good realization for me because I had wondered if I had only struggled harder, if I had only yelled louder, if I had only tried to talk my way out of it. You know, maybe I shouldn't have said no birth control. Maybe I should have said herpes. You know, I don't, whatever I could have said. But after reenacting this scenario quite a few times, it wouldn't have mattered what I said. And that was really important for me to know. My therapist had already told me that, but it wasn't sinking in. You know, I really needed to feel the weight of a huge man on me, pinning me, before I could feel okay in being the victim. And there was a great sense of peace and just letting it wash over me and through me and going, this isn't my fault. It happened, it's past. I really thought the rape had been my fault. Now, when I get raped, it's my fault because I asked for it. But now, I get to revel in it. I get to be ravished. I get to ravish someone. I get to let the person under me, if I'm doing the raping, lose all control. They are powerless to stop me. And for people who enjoy playing with power, it's a really hot head rush. Yeah, this is not 101. <laughs> this, is, this is not stuff you play with um, casually. You don't do pickup scenes with rape. You can do abductions easier than you can do rapes. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, Daddy? I think to some extent that's part of the addiction, though, is, you know, like any other extreme sport, you know, you do everything you can to make sure it's going to come out okay, you hope it's going to come out okay, but really, if there wasn't a small chance it wasn't going to come out okay, it's, it's not the a fun? sport. You know, you know what I mean? Because okay. even though it doesn't happen very often, I I never feel more of the relationship than right before I do something when I have no idea for sure that it's all ever going to be okay again. You know? It's interesting. You can't protect yourself legally. You can try. 
write down your fantasies, videotape yourself. By all means, uh, you ever see the sex and submission? They have the videotape consent before all of the horrible nastiness. And then they have an ending that goes, so is everything okay? And, and the girl's going, oh yeah, that was great. And she's all spaced out of her mind. Now, if they came back to her like three days later, would she change her mind? Hindsight and scene activity isn't always 2020. I mean, a lot of things happen. You know, girls wake up the next day, guys wake up the next day and go, what the fuck did I do? I didn't want that to get that far. I didn't know what I was doing. I can't believe I actually let that happen. Guilt is horrible for changing your mind. And if you're with people you love and trust and are in long-term relationships with, hopefully they won't sue you for doing what it is you asked them to. Um, oh no, I think it's an act of hatred. The raper has to hate themselves and take out the anger on the person underneath them, in my opinion. At least when I'm doing it, that's usually the way I go about it. Other people have different motivations, but I almost always feel serious aggression uh, internally and as opposed to beating myself up, I'm going to take it out on the person underneath me. They've given me the consent for that and I'm going to make sure that we get off at the same time. But I believe rape is not motivated by love, even consensual rape. Daddy? Um, I was going to say that for me, the, the difference really is no other type of scene I do is it so clear that I'm stomping all over the actual. But to me, when you talk about a rape scene, you're not talking about role-playing rape. Right. You're talking about that prior consent. But for that moment of time that the rape is happening, you would have to wield a really serious ethical razor to divide that from raping someone. Yeah. I can't do that the same way I can approach spanking or flogging or, or anything that they actually want to happen at the time. Which is might be why I understand what you're saying about hatred and anger. I mean, I don't wind up hating myself, but I have to be angry to actually cross the will of someone I care about. There's no way for me to do that out of love. Yeah. Yeah. You'll thank me in the morning? We can, we can role play it out of love. I can mm. do it for you, but you would know for a fact that I was, the beast was not there to use that terminology. I think it's really important to end your scenes with uh, some aftercare. I'm not saying you need to cuddle and, you know, like, I maybe that works for some people, but I think checking in with people is really, really important. You just took somebody on a majorly heady psychological trip, or you were just taken on a trip through hell and back. Um, make sure they came back. Make sure that they're not still in that, oh my God, the world is a horrible place and I can't leave my house or this is going to happen to me over and over and over again. Make sure that their faith in the world is restored. Make sure for yourself that the connection is still there. And if it's not, oh, cover your ass 
so you don't get sued. Um, I would suggest you do these things on a Friday night, uh, maybe when you don't have work that Monday. Because going into work on Monday, if you've done it Sunday night, and having your boss yell at you is going to be a completely different experience than when he yelled at you before you were raped earlier in the weekend. You have a really intense flogging scene, and you go into an endorphin subspace. For some people, that lasts like 20 minutes. For some people, it lasts two hours. For some people, it lasts two days. The same is true about the emotional vulnerability in a rape scene. Um, you can just be fragile. Not that you know, you're going to break down into tears if the light changes before you get to it, but if somebody in a position of power is upset or angry with you and you were the one experiencing the rape, that's going to affect you differently um, than it did a week ago. And if you're being properly taken care of by the people you love and trust, it really shouldn't last more than a couple days. If you've never done it with somebody before, um, start slow. Start really slow and the, the vulnerable time should be less. The, the less intense the experience, the less, uh, the, the shorter the recovery. It's gonna be an intense experience your first time. Um, you don't need to make it more intense than it's going to be. Just keep it simple and straight to the point. Vanilla fucking against their will. That's enough to put just about anybody over the top the first time. Then you can start with bondage. Then you can start with name calling. Then you can start with forced orgasm and having them enjoy, physically enjoy the sensations that are happening to them while they're hating the fact that it's happening to them and get them to verbally admit that they enjoy. I mean, you can really build it. And the more and more you build it, the longer the recovery period's going to be. So, and once you start playing with that, you'll see, you'll be able to see your partner usually takes about a day to recover. Daddy David? Um... It's interesting to see the depth of the range that you could choreograph this kind of scene with. Because as we started out, I thought of it more of a play scene where two people kind of talked about it, they know each other, this was going to be something done for fun, and you kind of plan out possible scenarios. Much like uh, orchestrating a kidnap scene, an elaborate kidnap scene. But when you all started talking about letting out the beast, it takes on a whole different depth all of a sudden. And in that scenario, I'm thinking that the top needs at least as much, maybe more, aftercare or, or some kind of post-processing. Because here the top is still in control, has to think up of how to do it, has to monitor during the whole course of the scene, what's going on. And if the beast comes out, if that's an integral part of the magic of, of that kind of intense scene, well, the beast is kind of like little Jack in the Box when you turn the crank and the thing comes out, you gotta stuff it back in at the end of the night. And that may not be as easy to do as, as well, it's not easy all the time to get it out to play, getting it back in sometimes can be even harder. So, and, and then you've got to like 
deal with that. Like, okay, who who was that just now doing that? And and where does it live when I'm not doing this? How can I do that? And and I've never really done great play on that level, but I have an understanding of, of what that can do to a top's head just from the face slapping scenes that I used to do. You know? And being able to forcefully overcome the socialization barriers of no, you don't do this, but yeah, I want to do this, and it doesn't mean that I'm a real prick scumbag mm-hmm. because I do this. I'm doing this because we we're both getting off on it. So That's it exactly. It's not really a light like you said, you can't it can be. It can be a light scene. It, can it be absolutely a light scene. can be. But now um, the beast involved. But if you're bringing the beast involved, I have to say that's where I use the word polyamory. Um, bring your friends and your lovers in. Because if you need someone to help you deal as, as the top, if you need someone to help you deal with putting that thing back in the depths of your soul, then you have to give your bottom over to somebody else. And if you've got a leather family then by all means, you know, have her sister come in and take care of her while you go try and wrestle that beast back to its grave. Um, I think you should also keep in mind whose fantasy is it. If the bottom is saying, I want to be raped, then that is not the time for the top to go, I want to rape someone. Take turns. Take care of each other. You can, at least in the beginning, you can rape someone without letting your beast out, without letting that hatred um, that I feel out, without being angry. You can act the part, and that will help you keep control and let them have a great scene. And build the trust between the two of you. And maybe the next time, they can keep their head together while you do the raping. And they can know that they're doing something for you in allowing you to let out your beast. I know when I first got into this, I was all like, let me see the biggest, baddest part of you there is. And... The guy I was with at the time, it's like, you don't want any part of it. I'm like, yeah, I do, yeah, I do, yeah, I do. No, you don't. And you know, he was right. (laughs) Didn't want any part of it. But I don't blame him for bringing it out because I begged and pleaded and wanted to play with that toy. And when he brought it out and I started screaming bloody murder, I didn't run for the hills. Um, and that's pretty important. Not running away is really important. Understanding that in the morning you're going to wake up, the sun's going to shine, and we're still going to be the people we were yesterday, maybe just a little more battered and bruised. You will survive this is pretty important to remember if you're the one on the bottom helping your top act out his fantasy or her fantasy. You've been listening to Power in Practice. 
Join us for more episodes at www.powerinpractice.com.